Hello and welcome to the My Teenage Band podcast with me, Nick Taylor. This is a podcast in which I talk to people from all kinds of different fields about the musical adventures of their youth. This week, my guest is Elle Hunt, a wonderful journalist who writes for The Guardian, New Scientist, Grazia and The Face, among other places. Elle was born in England, but the teenage band experience she talks to me about takes place in the North Island of New Zealand, where she grew up. Now, New Zealand has a nationwide music contest for young people called RockQuest, which has actually seen many successful New Zealand acts pass through, including Kimbra, The Naked and Famous, The Phoenix Foundation and The Datsuns. Elle and her friends formed a band almost exclusively to enter this competition, and, well, you can listen and find out if they join the ranks of these RockQuest success stories. A quick thing to note about this particular episode, I have of course been recording all episodes of the podcast so far remotely and battling with fairly unreliable countryside internet in the process I have to say, so my recording gear isn't always super reliable and on this occasion I'm using a slightly cleaned up version of my backup recording here, but Elle was such a joy to talk to that hopefully such technical hitches won't matter. So here we go, this is me and Elle Hunt talking back in August 2020. I don't really remember being part of a music scene beyond, I guess, my high school's music department. Um, I was studying music at school, and I think it's through that that I met other people interested in it. And I was quite young when I had my only experience of, of being in a band. I think I was probably about 14. <laughs> and so that obviously ruled out wow. all gigs other than all age gigs, you know, and there weren't that many of those. Uh, where I was growing up and where I went to school was quite rural town in the north of the South Island of New Zealand. So I lived in the countryside outside of Nelson and I went to school in a town around there. So that mm. meant that it wasn't like the kind of gigs and clubbing environments that I understand teenagers kind of grow up around in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I guess I came to music in the way that as a school subject and also exacerbated, I guess, by the fact that both my parents are music teachers. My mum is a head of, head of department at a secondary level. And my dad taught saxophone. So oh, wow. my family had always been quite musical and there was an expectation from a young age that you would learn an instrument. I think my instrument from when I was about 12 was guitar. And that then led to, you know, group performances and group projects. Amazing. And was it always kind of popular guitar or did you were you doing a bit of uh, classical as well? What was your musical training? I did classical but I always struggled with learning notation I um, wasn't really able to read music and read tab much more fluently and so I took classical guitar lessons but that was the big barrier to progression there Mm. and really certainly like my own interests and recreationally was was learning Metallica and the perfect circle and all the things all the new (laughs) metal that I was into as a young teen yeah amazing so when you when it came time to actually playing with mates was that your role in the band were you lead guitarist I can't tell whether I just have a really bad memory or whether I've actively suppressed uh, (laughs) memories of this band I think I was mostly rhythm guitar probably because I wasn't massively good but um, I I guess rhythm guitar but I don't want to overstate any kind of formality or success of this band like almost assigning roles is giving it too much credibility (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The best I can say is that there were four people in a room sometimes playing 
instruments after a fashion. Cool. Okay. Well, do you remember much about sort of how it first started and how you came to be playing instruments in a room with these particular people? <laughs> you know, I just told you there were four people and there were actually five people. So <laughs> that, that, says, that says a lot. Yeah. I can't really remember. I think certainly in studying music, you had to be assessed on a solo performance and a group performance. And so there was mm. always this kind of lead up in the school year to what are you going to be doing for your group performance and sort of little groups would come together for that reason and I think that is probably how it was on my radar so I my best friend sang and I was a better guitarist than she was so quite often informally we'd kind of hang out and sort of combine those and then I think we talked about starting a band and found a couple of interested people from another school. And as ever, I'm sure this comes up a lot in your interviews, the real struggle is finding a drummer and then having to go to the drummer's house, you know, because they yeah. can't transport all their stuff. Of course. Uh, so yeah. we found that was, I think, the, the chief mechanism of who was in the band and where we went. <laughs> but I honestly think it might have been over and done with within a year, maybe even less. It was... <laughs> I say a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Why was it such a disaster, do you think? Well, none of us were very good. And it's also quite a lot of people management. And we were young, you know, I, I kind of remember probably being the sort of ringleader just in terms of organising practices and bringing the people together. Like, I don't think anyone in the band had friend relationships apart from with me. And I think that was a lot of pressure in terms of when the music wasn't very good or when people turned out to be not as not up to some kind of imagined standard of this terrible <laughs> teenage band. So yeah. I didn't think I think I was a hard taskmaster. Right. Yeah. And probably also not very effective in, in people skills being <laughs> 14. I remember it principally as like a tense failure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I don't think there was ever any any indication or sense that it would be like this massively successful thing. Like, I didn't think I ever wanted to be a rock star because I'm too much of a pragmatist. Like, it was going to be hard <laughs> enough to be a journalist. Yeah. Um, but it was more the kind of like very boring HR management kind of thing that I right. struggled with where... All of what we were sort of gearing up to was to perform in this Rock Quest, which is a competition annually for school age bands to perform in front of an audience. And, you know, I think there were maybe three, there were three stages. There's the heats, which anyone who enters gets a go. And then there's the regional finals, which is like, I suppose, one of the bigger all ages concerts that people under 18 would be able to go to in this you know small New Zealand towns and then there's yeah. the final which has a very good track record of um launching bands on a sort of national level at least I don't know if it's even still running now that no one cares about rock music but um <laughs> at the time it was a big deal right yeah and was it like was it a real kind of like moment in the social calendar yeah I and <laughs> Yeah, in the same way that like the agricultural and produce show was, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, like it's not Glastonbury, but sure, we didn't have yeah. a lot else. And it did have, like I say, every New Zealand band that you would have heard of. And I think New Zealand has a good track record and hit rate with with rock bands, uh -huh. you know, when you compare it to the size of the population and say what like Australia's achieved. I think New Zealand's got a really good, strong musical tradition. 
it, Rockquest was the kind of launch pad to that with quite a big cash prize from memory and a sort of way into the industry. Not that, like mm-hmm. I say, we had my band and I had any expectations that we would succeed in it, but that was the kind of channel you would go through. And from yeah. certainly, I think we may have got together or formed to try our luck in that as well as for the um, group assessment module of, of school. So talk me through the day. You arrive at RockQuest and what kind of stage are you playing at? What kind of crowd have you got? And do you remember much about what your set list was? I remember that... There was some requirement that I think you had to play one or two original songs, maybe, and then a cover. I may be making that up, but certainly the only reason I remember that is because I feel like this great sense of like doom and dread (laughs) by thinking about the original song. A lot of time had been spent (laughs) on the original song and trying to get it to a appropriate place where it could be. Right. Did you have a hand in writing it yourself? Yeah, I think so. Because again, that was something we were learning about in school, like composition. And I think we perhaps misguidedly thought that if it was a, you know, that would earn us some kind of points for that we'd written it, Mm. you know. Um, Maybe you had to. Again, I'm not really (laughs) sure. But I do do remember the sense of dread of the original composition. Yeah. Other than that, I remember probably more energy being put into what we were going to wear than what we were going to play. There was a lot of discussion, I think, about, you know, dressing up as a rock star, which definitely (laughs) felt overkill when we arrived at, like, the community hall at, like, 2 p.m. on a Sunday, you know, (laughs) because this was, like, 15 bands. Everyone who applied got to perform. Yeah. And that meant that it was, like, a sort of whole day endeavour and you turned up and waited your turn right and it was also sort of like anticlimactic i don't think that anyone went along to the kind of audition stage because you know there would be the the heats and then the finals and so on Hmm. so it wasn't really a performance in for anyone other than the judges right um, because everyone who applied got a hearing Uh and for memory there were I'd say 14 or 15 bands all at school age and the youngest was probably 10 or 11. They were very young (laughs) and they were sort of like widely, you know, they were sort of humoured by everyone else present. Sure. I think they even had a triangle, you know. It was like, (laughs) oh, that's cute, a little, you know, a little break. Of course they did. Um, And then the rest were mostly kind of four or five piece grunge rock bands. I I don't know Uh if all teenage bands are grunge rock, but that is sort of at the time, that's how they they shook out, as I remember it, us included. Right, right. So what did you guys decide to go for in terms of a look? Oh man, I believe there were a lot of like kind of boots involved. I think probably like stage makeup. It Uh was also because the thing is, it's like in this small town New Zealand, there's like not a huge amount of of resources available (laughs) for your stage look, you know, like this was doing very much the best we could with like um, high street fashion and not a lot of high street fashion at that. I do remember (laughs) this sense of thinking oh the theatrical makeup was a mistake in terms of (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't a very cool teen as you can probably tell already and I think it was that sense of what your parents think a rock star would be as opposed to 
you know, the real rock star thing is A, being original and B, and B not caring. Yeah. And I was neither. You know, we failed <laughs> both. But when you say on when you say rock makeup, are we are we talking more kiss or again that's what i mean it's like a smoky eye for daytime you know oh, like nice. it, yeah, that's yeah, what i yeah. mean in terms of like it's not original that, that but slightly it's not, gothic yeah, yeah it's just like yeah just kind of yeah. like falling in between the gaps of anything but yeah like not yeah. quite obviously caring too much to be properly cool but not committing <laughs> enough to be original you know yeah but the real yeah. problem was the music which was just awful like and <laughs> the sticking point is that I think four of the five of us were probably quite good singers, but our singer was the worst of the oh, five. Do you know what okay. I mean? And and that had become a kind of sore spot. Right. But he was very enthusiastic and none of us, were, the rest of us were that keen to do mm. it. And I think probably even in an amateur band, you can skate through with some pretty sloppy musicianship. But I think people notice the singer and yeah. the front man. It's hard to get past that. So that was the sort of tension and our weakest link that we were aware of going in. That is a shame. Um, but uh, like I say, with this performance we were doing, there were very low stakes <laughs> because everyone got through, you know, like everyone got through. Mm. And then I just remember, in this case, like I said, there were maybe 15 bands and the triangle band of the tiny children didn't get through. Right. And then we didn't get through. <laughs> <laughs> and that was deflating i would say yeah i imagine did you get any kind of feedback oh i'm sure we did but i think we all kind of agreed to just quickly put it behind us and actually now i'm quite grateful because at least it means that basically no one saw that (laughs) short-lived venture do you know what i mean like the embarrassment was contained and quite fleeting like i'm glad they didn't put us through So you had you did your rock quest thing, but presumably you guys still had to do your school assessment thing, right? How did that bit go? Yeah, I'm not sure where the time frame kind of fit in with that. I think the rock quest experience was enough of a suggestion that we should dismantle the band immediately, <laughs> at least to four out of five of us. And this is the thing that I'm not proud of, is that the conflict aversion I felt was so strong was that we kind of told the singer that we were quitting the band all of us and then four of us started a new band without him you know like and and that was perhaps Uh. not the most tactful way of managing it but (laughs) I didn't have any experience of managing people at that time right right. Uh, but I was also very confident which is a big big combo (laughs) yeah (laughs) a deadly deadly potent combo I remember that causing probably unnecessary awkwardness okay how long did that new band last then not very long and I can't remember why we definitely did some kind of assessment but in the way that it was contained to the music school department and everyone had to do it and there was no sense that it was anything more than a means to a grade. You know, like it was uh-huh. the Rock Quest experience yeah. was, I think, enough to temper our ambitions beyond anything other than schoolwork. <laughs> and also, I think once that sort of fell over, then I started maybe doing more classical guitar performances. So there wasn't oh, nice. a need to have a um, rock band. It was I did all of those group performances through the framework of my uh, lessons. So, yeah, I think it was just 
like the general experience I I think of quite uh, you can probably tell I don't relish being reminded of it <laughs> despite going on yeah. your podcast um, yeah. and so I think that I remember that feeling of let's move on from this and the, and the less said the better I remember that that right. setting in almost immediately <laughs> <laughs> you, you'd got it out of your system basically yeah and I didn't really enjoy it like I think the thing was is that I I love music and I love music on a deeply nerdy level and the mm. kind of liner notes anoraki way but yeah. that didn't really ever flow into performing or playing it with other people or, and to be honest like I don't really love going to gigs so I you know and I think that was the thing for me where it was just like this isn't this is probably going to be more likely a source of mortification for me and discomfort and embarrassment. And <laughs> I would much rather be like on Last FM, like amending all my <laughs> tags, you know? Even when you left school, went to uni and all, these, and all the other places you've lived and stuff, you never kind of came across other people that you thought you might try playing with or or anything like that it was very much just something that you have always just left to one side yeah and actually that there was another factor with that where as I went through high school I became much more focused I guess on what I wanted to do at uni and Mm. get into journalism and writing and early in high school I had a lot more of these hobbies where I was very into photography I did sort of like recreational French lessons and I did a lot of guitar and music stuff generally but then as I sort of got closer to uni I started sort of shedding those to focus more on academic stuff and writing extracurricular and so I actually kind of went from having quite a lot of hobbies to having no hobbies in this sort of bid (laughs) to professionalize and and even then the big kind of thing about journalism was it's hard to get into so I just sort of put all my energy doing that and I kind of dropped all of them in a way that I sort of regret now because it means that I don't really have anything other than work you know and that became an issue sort of like three years ago where it was like when you know and when you write quite generally like I do everything could potentially be work you know like when I watch tv I'm like oh is this this a story or something so I have been thinking lately that I would quite like to get a guitar back and maybe try and learn a bit again but I just sort of Mm. did drop everything that I couldn't be exceptional at or monetize which (laughs) is it was a mistake I was also very much squarely in that, you know, mindset that we hear described as being very millennial, where it was always be optimizing and whatever you are doing should be, have some kind of outcome in mind, whether it's, you know, relaxation or whether you're going to do it for work or it's going to boost your profile in some way. I think I was very, very geared from quite a young age of, okay, I want to be a journalist and I will drop anything that doesn't progress me in that career and that definitely yeah. tripped me up when I became a journalist I was like oh what else have I got now whereas my dad for example mm. and my mum well my dad more so he had always loved music and cricket and animals but had never had this kind of idea that he would work in any of them um, and spent most of his working <laughs> life as a, as a lawyer and then when we moved to New Zealand, he didn't want to retrain in New Zealand, also started teaching saxophone. So it's that kind of thing, I think, wow. where 
without a reason to be doing it, I was inclined to drop it. And yeah. I would not recommend that. It's nice to have something for yourself, I think, every now and then. Yeah, it really is. I certainly felt that when my most recent band finished, where it's just like, oh, wow, yeah, that was like very much my out of work thing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah important to kind of keep these things going in in some ways. Do you think that there is any way in which giving being in a band a go has shaped you in any way, or is there anything that you did kind of take away from it, or is it just something that you've uh, tried to repress until I um, <laughs> until I started bothering you over email? <laughs> I guess a useful thing was that it disillusioned me of any desire to be in a band ever again, which is not <laughs> a bad thing. You know, there are plenty of people who go through life thinking, what if my you know, teenage band had been more successful if I tried more? And, you know, where would I be? I have no interest in that. Yeah. I think it's interesting to look at the episode as a failure of my social skills in a way that has been replicated across other areas of my <laughs> life in terms of instead of telling someone that the band is is breaking up and then setting up a new band with exactly the same people apart from them <laughs> it's probably better to be upfront and honest in the first instance yeah but i don't think i learned that immediately from the band i can just now see parallels with where i've sort of broken up with people the same way sure. <laughs> you know like it's just better it's just better to be direct i think and that is one thing that i sort of think about yeah I think there are parallels with writing in terms of it's something that you do get better at if you do it consistently and accept that you'll start being bad. And, mm. you know, there are improvements to be gained in small incremental things. And also, I think you didn't necessarily notice that you're improving, but then sort of six months on, you would be able to do something that you couldn't or you know when you kind of look back you could see that you had gotten better or more confident or more stylish or whatever and I do see those sort of incremental gains as consistent with writing too yeah and yeah there's a lot of parallels actually in terms of the distinction between the notes and the sort of words that you write and the effect that they create and things like that um, and rhythm across a whole piece as well like when I write features there's sort of a sense of that you're trying to build up to something and then sort of wind it down you know I think yeah. how because I grew up with in a musical environment beyond the band that was probably my least influential and least successful experiment with music but in terms of thinking about things in a sort of musical way that's definitely something I still have and it was interesting actually I was talking to do you know the actor Dermot Mulroney who's in my best friend's wedding uh-huh yeah I interviewed him for the Guardian a little while ago oh, and cool. he was also a very accomplished cellist and we talk quite a lot about how the experience of learning an instrument at high school level kind of gives you a sort of grounding in discipline and I guess it's sort of expression, isn't it? He he um, performs in a lot of the scoring orchestras for like Mission Impossible and some of the new Jurassic Park films and stuff, oh, wow. weirdly. But I've got actually the quote that he gave me. He says, I competed in solo competitions in high school, so it takes a certain type of person. It really has a lot to do with how people end up thinking. You have to work really hard on tiny little bits of the time. You have to know that you're going to fail, potentially in front of everyone. And it makes you a little bit brave and it makes you a little bit risk averse at the same time, or at least it did did me. And I, um, <laughs> That's you know, really lovely. 
Yeah. So I've always kind of, and you know, I just always have enjoyed talking to other people who have had that similar experience, you know. So there we go. That was Elle Hunt. Huge thanks to her. I should note, incidentally, that Elle's band did, in fact, have a name, but I actually forgot to ask her about it, which is, you know, why she's the brilliant journalist and I'm not. Though Elle did assure me in a subsequent email that she wouldn't have actually revealed it even if I had asked, so we'll just have to continue speculating on that one. You can find Elle on Twitter at L underscore Hunt, and I'll also include a link to her website in the show notes where you can find much of her writing as well as her short ebook, Why Everyone Needs a Nemesis, which came out in 2019. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast this week. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MyTeenageBand. And don't forget, you can get in touch with stories surrounding absolutely any genre of music and to any level of success at MyTeenageBand at gmail.com. Our jingle, beds and occasional musical interludes are written and performed by Anya Pearson, songwriter and guitarist in the band Dream Nails, with vocals on the jingle performed by Emmo Berman of the band Trills. Our wonderful podcast artwork is by Eloisa Henderson-Figueroa and our website, myteenageband.com, where you can find all our episodes so far, is designed and maintained by Emmo V. My Teenage Band is presented and produced by me, Nick Taylor, and I'll be back next week with more stories of youthful musical adventures. See you then! See you then!